questions and your thoughts on the week's comics as well, and I will address as many as I can as we talk about the week's events. All right, so this week we had a huge week of X releases. We had Immortal X-Men number three, New Mutants number 26, X-Men number 12, and Knights of X number three. I will be talking about those comics in some detail Spoilers will follow. I'm seeing that I look great. Thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. I think we can go ahead and dive in. Let's do this thing. We had some good, good comics this week. Good week to be an X-Fan. First thing I tweeted, first thought I had was, I've been saying it for months now. I've been saying it for months, but it is so fun. It is so enjoyable to have dueling aces at the head of this X-Men comics lineup right now. Right between Immortal X-Men, written by Kieran Gillen, and X-Men Red, written by Al Ewing, we have dueling aces. We have two books competing for best-of-the-line status and potentially best-of-Marvel comic status. Okay, that's how good they are. And because the Krakoa era is so interesting, right, it definitely, in my view, it gives them sort of an amplified leg up on a lot of the competition, of which is like, like what? Like, what are the best Marvel books right now, right? It's Gillen's own Eternals, which ended as we go into Judgment Day. Um, that was probably my my previous fi- uh, favorite. But beyond that, right, like the best Marvel books right now, um, in my view, you know, Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red are, are up at the top. Now, I'm going to be doing a mid-year 2022 list. I'm going to codify this, actually do the research, do the math, and put down what other titles are in contention. But Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red are right up there, and it's so cool to see them come week by week. And like last week, I was like, yeah, X-Men Red, you know, definitely the best right now. Uh, it's had two knockout issues. And then you forget, it's like, yeah, Immortal X-Men had one less mind-blowing second issue. And here it is back with number three, and it's fantastic, right? It's competition about, okay, who's actually going to be at the top? We got Kieran Gillen writing. We got Lucas Wernick on art on Immortal X-Men number three. So that's the book we're going to talk about the most, for sure. Um, there's the mo- me- most meat to chew on, the most going on. It is, uh, it's excellent. It's excellent. And not only is it good, it had me thinking this might be one. This might be the best book, a single issue, of the Krakoa era, okay, excluding House and, and Powers. Um, it's it's in that conversation. I don't I don't I haven't actually really thought about it. I don't think it's as it's definitely not as formalistically inventive as something like uh, a Hickman X Men number twenty uh, with the timelines in the vault. Um, it probably doesn't quite have the gravitas of that. But even okay, but it's in the conversation, right? So that's that's. A compliment in and of itself it's also the best destiny story of all time <laughs> like and i don't think it's close um it is it is the best destiny comic i think we've ever had and that was i mean that was a big thing i wanted right going into the destiny of x i was like all right here's her era she's a major major player in the Krakow era of x-men let's see it let's get some actual destiny characterization and, and, you know, codifying how her powers work and really talking about who is this person as opposed to a prop. And Gillen makes the joke here, but as opposed to a prop who tells Blob, hey, Colossus is going to attack on your left in three minutes, right? Like that, like that level of destiny, we're way, we're so far past that at this point. I wanted that kind of story and we got, we got the best destiny story of all time right here. Gillen puts pen to paper to clarify the precognitive abilities of destiny. Uh, various choices throughout her ex-comics continuity, in particular, allowing a possessed legion to kill her back in 1989, right? Destiny was off the board for, I can't do math, but decades <laughs> between her death in the latter stage Claremont era and House Powers on through Inferno, right? And now this character is back and this character is fascinating. It's one of the best single issues of the Krakoa era. Again, the competition for me is like that X-Men number 20 issue. Um, one of the other Hickman X-Men's probably has to be in there. I actually really loved like Tennis Swords devastation. Just drop after drop of like the Captain Britain Corps restored and, and the X-Men forming again. They're really cool moments in that oversized issue. Um, beyond that though, I, I'd, I'd, I'd actually have to sit down and look through the re- list. Maybe some of you, as I as I talk here, can list out some competition 
for what the best books in line. Obviously, Horde Culture and X-Men number three. Who could forget? Who among us? Uh, but all right, drop some of those. We finally learned why Destiny died on Rear Island, Christoph says here in the chat. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, finally, a genuinely good reason beyond, like, this very vague, like, oh, I did it to protect you, Mystique. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> we get a good reason. We actually get a good reason. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Okay, okay. We're getting some issues listed here. And, and definitely I was getting my numbers wrong. Okay. So it's X-Men number four is the Professor X, Magneto and Apocalypse go to, what is it? Davos, Switzerland and have the conversation with the world's leaders and financial institutions. Uh, that one's a classic. That one's fantastic. X-Men number seven gives us Crucible. Nightcrawler wanting to found a religion. I would put four above seven on my personal rankings. And then 18 and 19, it looks like are the vault story so i think 19 you need 18 to get to 19 i suppose but 19 is the formalistically invented use of the timelines and data charts and all that fantastic fantastic stuff um so yes those those are probably and like those are all hickman verse hickman x-men type issues i'm trying to think of like any like i i thought l ewing um who's the artist Marta Grassi was colors uh valerio shidi was on art on sword number one sword number one was a great issue as well uh, but again, probably not as formally inventive and, and special maybe, um, as some of the rest of the stuff we're talking about. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's in that conversation. It's not a super long list. I don't think. And, and it's so cool to see an issue jump like immediately to the top of a list like that. Um, and again, like if you're reading comics right now, if you're reading X-Men comics, if you were checked out on the Krakoa era. And you're like, Destiny of X, I don't know. Is it actually going to be, is it going to live up to the hype? Is it actually going to bring me back? Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red are doing that as dueling aces at the top of the line. And then you have excellent supplemental material in New Mutants. I think New Mutants is kind of on a tier by itself. It's like dueling aces, Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red, tear down New Mutants, tear down everything else choose your choose your character all right choose your fighter for the rest of those um yeah the, i mean the entire hellions run is fantastic but like on a single issue this is a memorable single issue basis i don't i don't know that hellions has that um again i'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head so it, and it's been years in some cases here so i may just be forgetting as well you know i think as we kind of talk through that too like i would love to see the creatives in the X office take more swings to the point that you could be like, Oh yeah. Remember uh new mutants. Number 15 was a choose your own adventure story, right? Like do bigger, more experimental stuff, which I know is like those issues stand out because they're unique and different. And there has to be a reason and you have to have buy-in from everyone involved. Um, but the X line, like if any line of Marvel right now can pull that off, it would be the X line. Uh, okay. So, Amazing, amazing comic today. Uh, it's good stuff. Let's talk about it. All right. So Gillen puts pen to paper to clarify the precognitive abilities of Destiny and various choices throughout her continuity, again, in particular, why she died. Okay. So Destiny in 1989, in this story, you don't really even have to have read it. You kind of just need to know that it happened. Um, Destiny is working with the Brotherhood of Mutants. It's Mystique, Destiny, Blob, Pyro, uh, Avalanche, and then couple weirdos and uh and forages with them and uh they fly to Mir island and there they get into like an all-out brouhaha and during that fight destiny like knows she's gonna die she knows she's gonna die and she walks into like a cave basically with legion and legion who i kept saying and thought i definitely interpreted the story that he was possessed by shadow king when this happens i think i, I read from uh i think it was austin gorton who writes for cbh and also wrote a really good review on comics xf um, that actually he probably wasn't possessed by Shadow King at this time, that that happened like four issues later, that instead it was uh, the the mean-spirited uh, uh, altar in Legion's head. What's his name? Jack from the original Claremont Sienkiewicz Legion debut in New Mutants 26-28, around there. Um, I think it's 26-28, uh, that he was in control. All of that is super semantics that does not matter for, <laughs> for what we're talking about with Destiny, but that was news to me. I did not realize that. I've been saying Shadow King. I think technically that might have be, that might be inaccurate. Um, so Destiny walks to her death, and, and she does this in order to bring about what we learned here 
tying everything together, right, squaring the circle, to bring about the birth of Krakoa, pulling towards a nexus event, Krakoa's birth. We're going to talk about nexus events and kind of the use here to learn what comes after, because as she knows now, Moira was creating a block, basically a black space on futures beyond that point. Destiny could see the future. She could see these nexus events, things that were likely to happen, but she couldn't see past that. We know, of course, now that that was Moira's doing. Okay, so Destiny, the way Gillen explains her powers here, she's a precog, and she sees possible futures. She can get a sense of nexus events or moments, or in the case of Mystique, people, right? Mystique is like her nexus, is how she describes her. So her goals are the long arc of moving history towards or away from various events. If you know a thing's going to happen, like the birth of Krakoa, what Destiny can try to do as an amazing lesbian terrorist <laughs> is try to shape the long arc of history either towards or away from that event happening. As we've seen with Moira, that is, of course, a very hard thing to do, right? Like shaping full-on civilizations, full-on societies. There's only so much one person can do, okay? There's the implication in this explanation that one of the panels here, that Destiny Mystique likely guided the world towards the development of the atomic bomb. We can pull these images up here of the comics today. Um, in an effort to increase the number of mutants that would inhabit the Earth, right? Children of the atom. So mutants existed before the atomic bomb, right? Mutants existed before the splitting of the atom, uh, but that amplified their numbers tremendously, right? That's when we get into the Silver Age and Charles Xavier and, and to me, my X-Men and all this, right? Which obviously moving the world towards an atom bomb <laughs> is a real utilitarian nightmare scenario. You know, that is... That is uh, some truly horrific uh, body counts, of course. Um, Destiny Mystique know this, they do it anyway, right? For this future of a protecting and working towards um, enhancing mutant kinds numbers. That's an implication. That is not right stated here. Um, Destiny, there's nothing, there's no destiny on Los Alamos working with Dr. Oppenheimer stuff going on here, right? That's, that's not the point of the story. I'm just saying that's the type of thing that is teased here is like, a nexus event, a big, big moment. One of the smartest things Gillen puts in here too is the idea that Destiny purposefully includes fake prophecies in her diary. So when Destiny's mutant abilities develop, which is at the age of 13, um, she gets flashes of all of these possible futures. And after they happen, what Gillen says is she sits down to write them all down. And that's when she writes the Destiny's diaries. 13 volumes over the course of 13 months of everything she saw that she can remember. She also writes, and this is really, really smart, she also writes fake prophecies in the diaries to throw off those who might steal them, which is a really clever get-out-of-jail-free card for messy X-Men continuity, <laughs> right? If a prophecy doesn't add up, if one stated in previous comics discussing the Destiny's diaries uh, don't match up to what's going on now, it was a fake one. It's an out, right? And it, it's quite clever. Um, all of this might sound like stuff. That, it's all stuff that we like kind of knew and kind of made sense if you've read the history of Destiny before, but I don't think it had ever been spelled out so clearly um, and, and so deliberately. And, you know, one of the big things here is like she sees, Destiny sees possible futures. She doesn't see the one future. She sees possibilities, and then she has to act, right? She is not a victim of, of blind fate. Bad pun. Unintended. Okay? Um, she is not locked in this deterministic trap, necessarily. She is a character with agency who can make choices to move the fate of mutant kind and her own fate towards or away from nexus events. These big things that are outlined, and they're outlined quite impressively and intriguingly in a data page in this issue okay so so that is kind of what what goes on with destiny but like more than anything i mean it's a destiny story and it's about who is this character and how does she work uh which i think would be fantastic if you're a new reader and you don't know a lot i found it amazing as someone who has read all these comics uh to again to get the specific of kind of how the player set works uh but more than anything 
Immortal X-Men number three is a love story. This is a love story. Uh, Gillen connects Destiny and Mystique through the ages. Their love is immortal, tying into the theme of this book, but also really just explaining the closeness and, and the importance of these characters, right? They're already wives. We know that. Um, and, and again, just getting moments of that because that's a thing that has not been allowed on the page for much of these characters' history because, again, Destiny was off the board for decades. Um, so you get not only that developed in the romance between the two, but you also get, you know, Mystique as this nexus event, uh, as this Destiny's personal nexus. And then, of course, the stinger at the end of this comic, which is Destiny gets new visions of all these possible futures, and we're kind of playing with what these are, and of course we're going to talk about these as we talk here, but at the end of all this, and again, spoilers, if you haven't read it, I recommend go doing that now, um, Destiny does not see Mystique in any of these futures, right? And what does that mean for her? And what does that mean for, like, where does she actually then want the, the long sweeping arc of time to go if Mystique's not actually involved at the end of any of these futures? Okay, and you know, it also raises the question, and I see a few people asking here, why? <laughs> what happens? Why isn't Mystique at the end of any of these possible futures? Very different variations, you know? I mean, certainly the first thing that pops into my head is Mr. Sinister lashing out, okay, in an adversarial role, because that's what he does, but that's a mystery, and it's an intriguing one at that. With, and again, it's not just an intriguing mystery about a character that is well-known and well-regarded in X-Men fandom in Mystique. It's now a mystery of a major character with the most well-developed and interesting emotional and romantic ties in the entire Krakoa era. Whose love story is more interesting in this era than Destiny and Mystique's? There is not one. I don't think there is one that is even close Right? Jokes about and, and, and the reality of the thruple between Scott Logan and Gene and their open bedroom doors are nowhere near <laughs> as well-developed and, and fleshed out as Destiny and Mystique right now. Okay? So all that's going on. And that's impressive as well, that that focus is here, again, in 22 pages. In 22, like, it is so hard to get this level of nuance and detail into 22 pages of comic. Again, one single issue. I mean, I, I truly, like, you're doing the history of Destiny. You're doing how her powers work. You're doing her romance with Mystique. And somehow, somehow, we still have time to do crazy future scenarios of possible futures that might come to pass. And Quiet Council moments. This is one issue. The dexterity. The skill, the craft, the understanding of pacing and how to make a compelling single issue that has to go into that. You don't just walk onto the scene and do that, right? Gillen's got the reps. He knows how this game works. I mean, I just, I can't, like when you read enough of these things and you play in this universe long enough, most comics can't do this, you know? They just can't. And that's what made X Immortal X-Men number three so interesting, okay? So... Destiny has some new precognitive flashes in this issue. Again, she's been reborn, you know, so it's almost like her mutant power is like resetting and, and you know, reconfiguring. And she has some of these, these flashes of what might become of Krakoa. But the timelines keep blanking out as she figures out here eventually because that's when Sinister is using his Moira clones to reset the timeline. So what we learned in Immortal X-Men number one is Mr. Sinister is cloning Moira X, he learned about her powers and what she could do, so he, of course, developed clones, and he is now running all sorts of experiments, basically, on how are these timelines going to play out, getting, collecting the data, and then using the Moira clones to reset the timeline, but now learning, like, oh, if I turn left here, the Quiet Council will kick me out, right? And th these types of things, and he's collecting all this data. And what we get in that amazing, very interestingly designed data page about these timelines, which is like a fascinating blend of like cloudy possible future timelines and also then lettered, like roping, snaking letters on the side of things. It's a really interesting page design. Um, we get all these possible futures and all these events of things that could be to come 
okay? Uh, uh, magic and, and the return of, you know, Limbo and Inferno is referenced. You have things like The Expanse referenced a few times with a capital X in Expanse, which is a really fun <laughs> way to weave in a capital X into possible cosmic stories down the line. We've got Mr. Sinister, the Gene Corsair, you know, a.k.a. the Gene Pirate, stealing everyone's genes. We've got Exodus growing to galactus size with the power of the Phoenix, with the faith of hundreds, if thousands, and who knows how many, powering him up to some sort of cosmic entity, literally eating Mr. Sinister, the Gene Corsair, who was flying, by the way, in a ship protected by the meat <laughs> of Sebastian Shaw in order to observe, absorb energy, we're getting just like the most deliciously playful future X-Men stuff because it's not happening. It's not real. It's not a future that is locked in or is even likely to happen, but it's a possible thing so you can go as buck wild as you want. You know, you can go as off the wall as you want uh, in those moments, and it's super fun. It's actually, I, I really think it's like, you should take those moments and show them <laughs> to Jason Aaron and this Avengers run and say, or like Scott Snyder on his Justice League, a, a, a better executed example, and be like, if you build to these moments where you want to have all the fun in the world, I'm here to have that fun with you. But if you just want to play pun hybrid reference baseball, it's actually like there's no meat. There's no meat on the bone. It's just you merging things together, okay? Side note, side note. The Shaw batteries are incredible. Incredible. Gillen is a master punsman, and <laughs> that one, that one is way, way up there. Okay, so we have Exodus, powered by the Phoenix Fourth, eating a Mr. Sinister who has stolen the genes of all of Krakoa, has led to the fall of Krakoa. We see a lot of falls of Krakoa. Like, that's a, that's a through line in the timelines that Destiny sees here. It doesn't end well for Krakoa in any of them. Okay, Krakoa falls. There are a number of Nimrod extinction events. There was an Orcus Dominion at one point, which I don't think the use of Dominion is an accident, right? And things like that. Like, none of the timelines look particularly good. Sinister is leading to the fall of the nation. I mean, again, I think if you're, if you're following Immortal X-Men, it's going to be key to continue to remember the conversation about, like, like the narrative pull of the House and Powers line was Moira with a side of Charles and Mags versus Mystique and Destiny. That was the pull of X-Men comics from 2019 until Inferno, 2021, right? The pull now, the two competing forces that maybe are going to work together, but probably not, Destiny and Mr. Sinister, okay? Those are the two key forces. And of course, with Destiny, you got to throw in Mystique, right, as an ally, um, and literally her wife. With Sinister, doesn't really have allies, <laughs> except for himself, and then he has hundreds. Um, okay, all that's happening. Uh, the literal only thing I didn't like about this comic was there's a moment on the Quiet Council where Professor X is grandstanding, and he's trying to make a big thing about how Mystique abused their trust, and, you know, because it's revealed here, it's finally outed, information that we already knew, there's, there's no dramatic irony here, um, that uh, Mystique pretended to be Professor X to get a Cerebro helmet to get Destiny resurrected and also to get her DNA, right? And Professor X is acting, clutching his pearls, shocked, shocked and appalled. And he's trying to get the Quiet Council to agree. Um, and during this, Cape Pride says he has Professor Xavier is a jerk energy. Too cute by half. <laughs> Way too cute by half. This is a reference to the famous Chris Claremont Paul Smith opening page of Kitty Pride's smashing open the door and saying Professor Xavier is a jerk in the biggest font possible. That does not feel like a thing. Kitty would reference or say <laughs> in the actual X-Men comics. That was like, we're taking a, a social media meme and slamming it into a character's mouth. Did not enjoy that. I didn't think that was good. <laughs> okay. I thought that was pretty poor. That's the only thing I didn't like. Literally the only thing 
I didn't like about this comic is uh, a nerdy semantics issue. Otherwise, I thought it ruled. thought it absolutely ruled. And again, it's nice to resurface the fact that Mr. Sinister cannot be trusted. This is a character who leads to the fall of Krakoa. That is what Moira tells everyone, everyone being Magneto and Charles. So don't bring him in. They bring him in anyway. It's a mistake. Clearly, it's a mistake. Mr. Sinister is not here to help mutant kind. And we're getting that sort of re-solidified and played with in these timelines. Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. So I'm going to take a drink. Going to get some of this classic Hulk water here. Let's hear some questions. Let's hear some questions. I'm seeing here from James. Gillen has very quickly added great layers to Exodus. Like, the Exodus is way more interesting, too. I mean, if we want to talk about Destiny, you know, needing some some specificity and character development, Exodus definitely needs the same thing. And Gillen's doing that in some really great ways, right? The fact that he's sort of faith-powered, faith-based powers, that sort of thing. Um, just the, the imagination to picture Exodus as like, you know who would love the, the Phoenix and becoming a cosmic entity of their own, a god of their own? Exodus, <laughs> right? Like, that's not a character that you could have done that with three years ago. But here we are. It's very, very good. I'm seeing some people enjoyed the Kate moment. Uh, congrats. Listen, I've got no problem with her calling Professor X a jerk. Let's be clear. <laughs> Professor X is a jerk. That's not what's in an argument here. Uh, no debate on that front. It's the quoting myself from a famous scene thing. It just felt, it felt too forced. It felt very forced, very weird. Uh, but again, way besides the point. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not why this comic, that's not what made this comic go or in any way took me out of it. Um, so the big thing here that happens in all of what I described is Destiny figures out, okay, the reason I can't see past these timelines is Mr. Sinister must have cloned Moira. He doesn't have the ability to cut me off like that. Moira's off the table, but, okay, Sinister cloned her. Of course he did. That's what he does. Um, and she realizes that. But she also realizes, I can't just, like, out that. I can't just confront him because then he can go and reset the timeline. And I won't know in the new life. I won't know in the reset timeline what I know now. So now Destiny has to figure out how to game and play Sinister without with and keep this knowledge, essentially, right? As he goes and resets using Moira's abilities um, and collecting all this data. It's a challenging, challenging dilemma, I think, for, for Destiny. I don't know how you play that. I'm curious to see what her ideas are, for sure. Um... Yeah, like the new, the, I'm seeing here from, from one of the comments, the new branch of various events is awesome. I still want to go back and see some of those Moira events from those early data pages. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we're going to see a ton of these. You know, the Empire of the Red Diamond, right? Which is, of course, a, a Mr. Sinister Empire type thing. The Reign of, of A, Apocalypse, Big Daddy A, you know, these sorts of things. There's an AVX-6, <laughs> which is like acronym heaven. Um, I think the weirdest one on here is Canticle for Talia. I have no idea what that is. Truly, truly no idea what that is. Uh, and I have not done any research on it yet. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, playing with those is super fun. Again, I don't, I think it's one of those things like we've seen in possible future scenarios uh, that Hickman, you know, would have, would have given us little glimpses of with the Moira timelines. Most of these will not come to pass, but it's a fun opportunity to consider what could. Definitely. Uh, all right, let's see. What other questions do we have before we talk about the rest of the issues? Let's see. We got in the super chat here, which thank you for contributing. It's greatly appreciated. From Alma, do you think Krakoa the Island could help be the downfall of Krakoa the Civilization? I mean, it is too easy to forget that Krakoa is a sentient being of tremendous power. <laughs> so, yeah, like, if and when Doug and Krakoa make a play... Because don't forget, they're power players in this scheme as well. 
I mean, that could lead that could easily lead to the downfall of the society just as much as it has led to the birth and the the you know incredible power they now have in the world. Um, there's a lot of development to be done with Krakoa, the island that walks like a man, <laughs> or at this point, the island that sits and lurks and hangs out in quiet council meetings. So uh, one of the big questions, you know, and, and obviously a player like Sinister is definitely the sort who could figure out how to sort of game or clone or manipulate Krakoa. You know, Doug's the only one with the connection right now, um, but that could change. That could potentially change, and then all bets are off. Let's see, I'm seeing here from the comments, Talia is Nightcrawler's alternate timeline daughter. Uh, okay. Yeah? <laughs> is that right? Don't, I, the only Talia that, that I know is, of course, the Al Ghul, right? Daughter of the Demon, mother of Damien, lover of the Bat. Um, I would love to see her. Like, if that was just straight up a Talia Al Ghul crossover, I'm here for it, for sure. Uh, but Nightcrawler's alternate timeline daughter. Sure. Okay. But I'm going to have to look into that. Curious what that would be. I mean, we're talking, we're not talking about Nocturne, right? I don't know what Nocturne's real name is. Um, is that an Exiles thing? Or is that, is Talia, is Nocturne's name Talia? <laughs> Let's look this up. Live lookup. I don't usually do this. Yes, it is. Talia Wagner. Oh, that's Nocturne. Oh, okay. Oh, that's definitely who that is. All right. So, so yeah. So Nocturne is... Alternate reality daughter of Nightcrawler. Uh, if you've read the Exile series from the early 2000s, which is very, very fun and I loved at the time, then I guess that is a reference to good old Nocturne. Let's bring in more alt-reality stuff. Krakoa era definitely needs that, I think. All right, what other questions do we got? Nobody expects the Spark Inquisition. Who could have seen a non-religion religion turning to Inquisitions? Who could have seen it coming? Let's see. Do you believe we will see a schism between Cyclops' X-Men and the Quiet Council soon? I do not. I do not, actually. I think uh, Cyclops has a lot of friends on the Council, namely Emma Frost, right? I don't... I, if we were going to do a splitting up a Krakoa thing, I definitely thought Inferno was going to be the catalyst for that. And, you know, the, the whole ending of that was Quiet Council's locked in this room forever, right? This is immortal. This is forever. Uh, so, no, I don't see that. We'll see disagreements and things like that, but I don't think we'll actually see a full-on schism. Again, that's kind of been done. Cyclops has had his share of schisms. What do we think the storm system means? It's the further outcome on the Judgment Day strand of Destiny's timeline. I mean, I guess that's one thing to consider is, so Judgment Day is referenced on Destiny's timeline, Judgment Day is coming. Like, that's happening, right? That's an event written by Gillen. That event is going to play out. So I suppose one way of looking at those would be to say, okay, I guess I'll follow the Judgment Day timeline because those are the things that are going to happen. I don't know if that's totally going to check out, but it certainly feels like an option. Uh, the Storm system it is interesting. I, I mean, I don't know for sure. I mean, the thing that I, the vibe that I was getting with a number of these, like the Orcus Dominion, uh, and the storm system was the idea of tapping into those cosmic societal intelligences that were laid out in Powers of Ten way back when. A storm system, to me, sounds like, okay, you've got Storm on Araco, on Mars. Um, could she be creating a network throughout the cosmos in the expanse, right, of mutant territories and the storm system would all be connected by not her leadership, not her reign, because she doesn't want to be queen, or at least that's what she's told us so far in X-Men Red, uh, but by various Brotherhood of Mutants. Maybe that becomes the storm system, is various Brotherhood of Mutants uh, sort of setting up shop and helping out various planets throughout the territory, and that's how mutant kind expands in the expanse. Because again, that is going, should happen. I expect that will, uh, if we get far enough down the line. Does anybody know what Sinister's endgame is? What is his motivation for all this weird stuff? I mean, Sinister's motivations, they are, when you actually try to, like, think through, like, and clarify in, in words <laughs> what he's trying to get to, what he's trying to do, it's often very difficult, which I think is what makes him 
a very interesting character and very compelling. But I mean, my read on it is he's a character who thinks about himself and he thinks about what he wants to do and how to do it. And it doesn't really care what happens to anyone else in the process. Um, and so what he's trying to do is he's trying to utilize all of the mutant DNA that he has for his own immortality and, and increases in power, right? So he will sabotage the entirety of Krakoa when it suits him, when he feels like he has the full set of, of genes and DNA and everything that he needs to basically be the thriving intergalactic power in and of himself, you know? Like, he doesn't actually want uh, competing intellects <laughs> around him, but he does want little versions, little clone versions of Cyclops and Jean that he can snap and have their heads pop off at, at a blink that he completely controls. Uh, beyond that, it is kind of hard to know. Like, I don't, like, does, does Sinister want to uh, sit on a throne on Arako? Does Sinister want to conquer the Shi'ar? I mean, that's the complicated thing about him. Like, he's not Thanos. He's not Doctor Doom. You know? Like, conquest doesn't really seem like it's of a piece with Sinister's motivations. Uh, but pure collection and immortality and power for himself does. Kind of, I don't know, it always, it often to me feels like that in and of itself is the goal. It's just the consumption of all this stuff as opposed to the consumption and then I'll rule in peace here or something like that, you know? Um, but that's that's just off the top of my head sort of interpretation. Let's see, we've got a question here in the Super Chat. Thank you very much from James. Do you agree with Hope that the council should spill the Moira beans to all of Krakoa and might that happen soon? I think Hope is right. Uh, it's a better idea. I mean, I guess, I guess all of the beans, the only piece of that that were like, I wouldn't be worried about, hey, this was founded on these visions from a secret mutant who knew how things would play out. And this, and you know, you frame it as like, Krakoa, this puts us on the best path to mutant survival. I, that information I think you could share. And, and that would be a very open and honest way of talking about what's going on in Krakoa and what the point of it is in the community. I think a danger would be to say, oh, by the way, so far we've always lost. And Moira, before we killed her or tried, <laughs> her plan was to cure you all. I don't know that you want to put that out in Krakoa. Um, that seems like it could lead to serious problems for everyone on Krakoa, although, I mean, certainly the, the I don't know, the optimistic view or the, the high road is to put it all out there, see who wants to stay. People can always go back to the world, right? Krakoa's not a prison, or so we've been led to believe. Um, I, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see that explored. I mean, I kind of thought the Moira bomb might be getting out there after Inferno. You know, with the, I, I think the longer the Quiet Council... Because, like, here's the thing, is if you just ran into a problem, you know, your Professor X, Magneto Moira, and the problem was, hey, we kept a secret and everybody's mad about it, and the Quiet Council looks at that and the lesson is not, hey, maybe we shouldn't keep giant secrets, <laughs> you know, because they're doing the exact same thing, just on a slightly bigger scale. Instead of three, it's 12. Um, so, yeah, it does seem like kind of a time bomb. Uh, I'm not totally sure with Moira what the actual implications of that would be. That would be interesting. Okay. So, all right. One more sip. Get in the questions. Get in the Super Chats. This is great. We're going to have to talk about uh, the other comics today, although certainly there's not as much that needs to be said about these in terms of massive, massive revelations. I mean, that's the other cool thing about Immortal X-Men number three. Like, this is on that connected to the grand picture piece of the puzzle that I love and uh, again, there's just so much here in the, in the panels, in the data page about like just pages you can pour over and be like, oh, what's that? Where are we going here? What's this Magneto temple? What's going to happen? What's a Cassandra supernova? What does that mean? Right? Love it. Love it. Uh, 
I'm seeing here from Jay, the Moira thing is going to get out anyway at the gala. Possible. Uh, I definitely thought, you know, because there's been references in the Hellfire Gala lead up that like, oh, there's going to be some secret exposed. So that actually happens at the end of X-Men number 12, right? And it's predictable. It's been set up for quite some time. But the secret that is exposed is Cyclops and Sink have a sit down with Ben Urich, world's best reporter in the Marvel Universe. And they say, uh, Sink basically says, hey, sorry, wipe your memory about Mutant Resurrection. And they're basically like, hey, here's the info. You know, if you want to report on it, you can. And he does. So Ben reports the, the story. That has now run in the Daily Bugle. So cat's out of that bag. I still think that's probably the secret that's going to be out there at the Hellfire Gala. Is like, oh, BT Dubs, Mutants Have Conquered Death. Um, and Resurrection only applies to mutants. Which Cyclops says here to Ben... Mutant Resurrection tech only works for mutants. Which I'll admit, I've been fuzzy on those details. Like, if that's actually true or not. I mean, the way Cyclops says it, and because he's Cyclops, I buy it, and I kind of believe it. Um, but you'd have sections of humanity who would hear that news and think, well, that's a lie. They're just holding out on us, right? So there's going to be some sort of negative PR and outrage and stuff like that. Uh, and just a lot of fear, right? So so that's definitely going to play out. I would be, I would expect more that that is the secret that's that's going to lead to conversation and confrontation as opposed to the Moira piece of things that getting out just like in the world. Um, but that would be bigger. That would definitely be bigger. I mean, we know Moira is likely to attend the Hellfire Gala in, uh, with some connection to MJ, Mary Jane Watson, right? Believe it or not. So it's possible, but I, I don't expect that's what's going to come out of the Hellfire Gala. And I've never been wrong before, <laughs> which if you listen, you of course know to be true. All right. Let's see. I'm seeing from Banksy here, Moira's character seems to be ruined. What a shame. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take that bait <laughs> just because I've talked about it a lot. Um, Moira needs to be salvaged now. Moira went from being the most interesting thing about this era to now needing a fix again. <laughs> Which is a bummer, right? Like, you have, a, you have a moment, like House of X number two, where a creative vision completely reimagines a character and their potential, and three years later, we already need to fix that character. <laughs> like, that's a bummer. Uh, but yeah, I'm not going to go off on that right now. All right, let's see. We got from the Super Chat here, we got QE Falls. Thank you for your support. Strictly based on appearance, where do you rank the Phoenix Force Exodus among Phoenix hosts? Uh, I'm definitely a sucker for AVX era Cyclops, uh, Phoenix Five design. I really love that. The Phoenix wings on the visor, Chef's kiss. I dig it. Uh, that one's good. Obviously, classic Gene Dark Phoenix is good. Good stuff. Um, in Phoenix End Song, when Emma has the Phoenix powers for like twelve seconds, uh, Emma looks good in anything. So that's always cool. Uh, I'd probably put Exodus right now behind all of those. Uh, and then Quentin Quire's last, because he just looks like a dweeb in anything. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There, there are probably other ones. Uh, oh, Rachel. Obviously, Rachel Phoenix. Um, I don't think Rachel ever looks super cool as Phoenix. She just looks like Rachel, wearing like a red, you know, leotard bodysuit kind of thing, Right. I've never, I don't know, I've never looked at Rachel Phoenix and thought like, oh, that's a sweet design. But I bet people have. <laughs> I bet lots of people have. But that has not been my experience. Uh, good question. Good question. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, basically, I just, I already shared basically what happened in X-Men number 12. Um, we got, that one's written by Jerry Duggan, Pepe Larraz on our Marty Gracia, Clint Cowles. Uh, I don't know if it's officially the end of that series. But, like, clearly the team's going to reboot after the end of this and, and going into the Hellfire Gala, we're going to get a new roster of who's on the X-Men, which is fine. This series has been very middle of the road for me. Um, I say it every time, but when Pepe Larraz and Marty Gracia show up and you got Clayton Cowles on letters, it's one of the best-looking books on the Marvel racks. Um, but the actual narrative is, is pretty middle of the road. Again, like I've been saying, if this is coming off your bench and it's a supporting player in the middle tier of the X-Line, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Uh, the, I got to say, so the last issue ended 
with the big Mr. Sinister reveal that Dr. Stasis, who up to that point was an unrevealed Orcus player, was actually Mr. Sinister, but not just that. He was a Sinister of Clubs. So instead of a red diamond on his forehead, he had um, he had the, the club. He thinks he's the real Mr. Sinister. As he battles with Cyclops, I gotta say, doing Clone Saga stuff with the Sinisters? Nah, I'm good. I am good. I don't think I can overemphasize how little I want to do I'm the real Sinister stories. <laughs> like, zero interest. Zero. So, let's not. Let's please not. I will give credit, throughout this X-Men run, that Duggan has helped make Orcus more interesting. Dr. Phalong, Modok, a Sinister of Clubs, and of course we still have Nimrod, Omega Sentinel, and Moira in whatever you know, if they've responded to our email yet, <laughs> which they may not have. But you've got some interesting players now, and we kind of like, you know, we kind of have a council of Orcus where we actually know the players. And we actually kind of get a sense of who they are and what they can do. Um, that stuff's interesting. So credit there. But otherwise, very mid-tier run uh, that was made to feel more important and better than it was by virtue of having superstar artists on board, you know? Uh, but, but it was, I mean, it was, <laughs> there was some minor debate today about like, Hey, this was pitched as the flagship X-Men book. This was the successor to Hickman's X-Men. Did it live up to those expectations? I mean, I've been saying it the entire time. If this was meant to be a flagship book, it was a horrible flagship book. <laughs> it did not live up to expectations at all. I don't think it was actually meant to be that. I don't think the players involved meant for it to be that. And if they did, that was a mistake. That was a mistake because the clear flagship book is Immortal X-Men. That doesn't mean I think it's the best. Okay, again, that's conversation between Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red. But Immortal X-Men is the center of the X-Men universe. It is the center of where Krakoa is going. X-Men was never that. It was just a superhero team book because there actually has not been a superhero team book called X-Men <laughs> for like two years at that point. You know? Um... I'm seeing Pepe Larraz cast here via Brayden for the new Fantastic Four creative team. Uh, well, here's the thing about that. No thank you, because that would mean Pepe's not in the X office anymore, right? We, we had this problem with R.B. Silva. R.B. Silva did Powers, looked great, did an issue of X-Men, I think it's X-Men number five with Hickman, jumped fence, did Fantastic Four with Dan Slott, R.B. Silva might still be great. I don't know. I don't want to read Fantastic Four in those creative hands. Now, listen, if you tell me it's Al Ewing and Pepe Larraz on Fantastic Four, you know, we'll be talking about Fantastic Four on this podcast <laughs> and nothing else. Um, it would be good, I'm sure. I, I also don't think Pepe Larraz has either the interest or the time or the skill set to churn a book out on a rapid monthly cadence. On a rapid monthly cadence. Um, you know, this X-Men run required breaks uh, for, for fill-in artists who did really nice work. Um, I'm trying to think of the name, and I can't. Javier Pena. Filled in, you know, superbly. Uh, but, but I don't see him doing a monthly book like Fantastic Four. That doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Okay. Are we saying Hickman had to stop being head of X for us to get Gillen and Judgment Day? I mean, glass, glass half full view of the whole scenario. Glass like like 42% full. Not quite half. 42% full is if Hickman doesn't leave, we don't get Gillen, Immortal X-Men. Maybe. We still, here's the, like, that's the thing. Is like, we still might have. But anyway. Let's just say, maybe we don't. It's definitely not the center. It's definitely not the main book, right? If Hickman's still around. Um, and the Judgment Day event, which I'm excited about, truly. I, I really think it's going to be good. I've been saying this for weeks now. But again, I've got faith in creators. And I've got faith in good creators with, with good track records who know how to play these games, and Gillen is one of them. He has seen events in the Marvel sphere. He has tied into them. He has played with them. He He has a sense, at least, of like, okay, I know what I'm kind of 
I know what I'm trying to do. It's at least going to be interesting. It's at least going to be interesting. And events are hard to pull off. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like it's, you know, the, the X-Men comics, the line is not incredible, but the big picture sort of story and the top of the puzzle is in pretty good hands. It really is. Uh, speaking of, of pretty good hands, that's what New Mutants has been in for about a year. Vida Ayala, Rod Race, Jan Duresma, Jan Sema, doing flashbacks, Ruth Redman, Travis Lanham. Um, this book is so good. This book continues to impress me with every issue. Uh, I really love this creative unit. This one, we basically got a magic lost in limbo story. The way this book can on a dime, you feel like it's doing one thing and then like halfway through, you know, it feels like you're running out of real estate and it's like, actually we're doing this much bigger thing and we're going to nail it in one issue. It's pretty, pretty stinking impressive. I mean, th- this issue of New Mutants number 26, the, the, the New Mutants lost in limbo, they find an old Ileana, old woman Ileana, right, an old magic who's been trapped in limbo. She, she went down the same paths as they did, basically. Her Krakoa has fallen already because she's been trapped in limbo this whole time. And it's playing with all these time travel aspects of meeting versions of yourself who've already gone down this road and had it play out poorly the same exact way. Chris Claremont's Uncanny X-Men number 160 does in the introduction of Blasco and Limbo and that that crucial when Ileana got trapped in Limbo story. Um, and it's doing it without being super heavy-handed about it being a reference. It's doing it without you needing to have read those comics. Although I will say, I do think this new Mutants run is going to be a lot better if you know the Ileana story from Uncanny X-Men number 160 through the Magic miniseries, through Inferno, a bit of New Mutants history during that era, some of the Louis Simonson run stuff, like the fact that the techno-organic virus has been there before, right? Like, if you're wondering, like, why does everyone look like a warlock? Like, Limbo has been infected by the techno-organic virus before. Um, So, I, I have to think the run's better if you know that stuff, uh, but I don't think it's unreadable if you haven't. Um, but it's just fantastic. It's really great character work for Magic, Ileana in particular. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is getting the same shine. You know, it has kind of become an Ileana solo book. I think in a lot of ways it is really developing her character and also, like, the trauma she deals with from having been trapped and raised by literal demons. And raised is not the right word because <laughs> that's not what it is when you are uh trapped and tormented by demons for however many years um fantastic fantastic book it, it, it is my favorite non-critical x book right now right like it is not building a lot of big picture stuff um although it's it's doing its own thing it's doing stuff with metal prior just who owns limbo and all that stuff uh but it is it is my favorite of that bunch um with the exception of Sabretooth. I get, oh, I forgot Sabretooth in my second tier. I keep forgetting Sabretooth because I, what's it been? Like seven months <laughs> since the last issue, right? This is going to happen with all these supply chain issues. So yeah, New, New Mutants is awesome. Uh, X-Men is mid. And Mortal X-Men number three is one of the best comics of the Krakoa era. All right, we're running up on time here. Get your questions in. Thoughts? I can address them. Oh, I do see the best Phoenix was Cyclops in the hands of Doom in Secret Wars. I do love that Esau Rivich design. Do you love me that Esau Rivich design of Psyche, even though it lasted all of <laughs> half an issue? I think it best. Uh, it did not last nearly long enough. Let's see, any other questions here? seeing from Daniel here the idea of Mr. Sinister as his own sort of personal scroll, scroll civilization, hive mind civilization. That's an interesting way to think about it, as his own sort of solidified intergalactic society. That's a cool idea, right? If you had, if we talked about Marvel Cosmic in terms of the Kree, the Skrulls, and the Sinisters, <laughs> like, that'd be super fun. 
that would be awesome as well. Um, oh, did we see Mr. M today? I didn't, I didn't read Knights of X. I have not read Knights of X number three. Um, I'm seeing in the comments here that there was a Mr. M appearance. Uh, okay, all right. Those of you who have read Knights of X number three, let me know. Do I, do I sit down and read it for this Mr. M appearance? Or do I wait? Which is my plan. Let's see. Uh, old woman Ileana did mention her Krakoa was overrun with the T.O. virus. Was that the Phalanx invasion, maybe? I definitely skipped over that line in my fast one-time read. Uh, if she says that, I mean, certainly we've played with the Phalanx enough where that seems likely. Um, I, don't, I don't know what else. Aside from that being a, a side effect of, like, Warlock fighting his dad, <laughs> the mages or something. I mean, probably that's a phalanx invasion. That's interesting. I'll have to look at that again. Will we ever find out what that key was that Magneto got in Giant Size X-Men? Or the AI Doug left in the world? Yeah, I mean, those are those are definitely two of the better Hickman mysteries left behind that I, like, is anyone going to pick those things up? Is anyone going to pick those things up? Uh, low confidence. I, I would say, on a, on... Hickman's storylines that weren't finished and uh, my confidence scale for if they will get completed at some point. Like, for example, like the Vulcan mystery, high confidence level because Al Ewing's already playing with it, right? High confidence level that Al Ewing's going to complete that mystery in a somewhat satisfactory manner. Uh, the new AI Doug left in the world, I'm going to give it medium confidence because that's really interesting. Somebody's got to play with that. The key Magneto got low confidence, <laughs> very low confidence. Anybody touches Magneto's key that he got with Namor, but we will see. We will see. All right. We got a, another super chat. If you could create a chimera made of three mutants, including one Omega, what would you choose? Okay. Uh, so, I mean, my, my first instinct is always just, let's put Nightcrawler in there. I love Nightcrawler, my favorite mutant. Uh, teleportation, always valuable. Let's throw in Laura because she's awesome and we want Wolverine's healing abilities. And for our Omega, we've got someone with fierce uh, fighting abilities who can teleport, who has a healing factor. For my Omega level mutant, uh, my, my favorite Omega level is probably Magneto, but I'm actually going to take Exodus here. And I'm going to do that because of the Karen Gillan development of this character. You combine Nightcrawler and Exodus's religious connections, right, and these faith-based powers of worshippers, and then just Laura Kinney's badassery. You've got yourself an interesting timer, okay? Uh, what do we call this thing? We got Wolf... Wolf Crawlerus? No, that's bad. <laughs> we got to play with this. We got to play with this uh, a lot more than that. Uh, all right, let's see, let's see, let's see. In my humble opinion, I'm Stephen Christoph. You should read Night of X for the Mr. M cameo. Okay, there's one vote. There is one vote. Uh, Dave, did you see Blurred? Ernie had a surprising guest appearance of Rob from Comics Explained. No, I did not see that. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, right? Ernie's got friends in high places. If I could, if I could glom on to uh, to talking X Men with the two of them. That is, I, I obviously benefit the most from that by far. <laughs> like, cl clearly, uh, with my, my small audience here at Convict Herald, um, I am the one who benefits from that the most. Uh, so they would, they would have to deign to lower themselves to talk comics with me. But yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a good time. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I, I have no connection or familiarity with, with Rob from Comics Explained, but I mean, I, I think most of the criticism you'll find is like, jealousy <laughs> like like most of the criticism you like i the stuff i've listened to in the past like dude likes comics he's done a good job he's he's made a huge name of himself right like i i have to th like any anytime if, if i'm feeling any resentment towards like what he's doing on that channel it would like be 100 percent jealousy i'm sure just the size of the thing i'm guessing that's what it is for for most although i'm sure like most things there are genuine criticisms that apply uh, will you review The Amazing Spider-Man 9 by Zeb Wells, guest-starring Wolverine, a Hellfire Galatian? Yeah, I mean, if there's Hellfire Galatian stuff, um, I'll be ordering it in a reading order on Comic Herald. I will definitely uh, talk about it, probably on a live stream. I doubt I'll 
yeah, I mean, um, if there's, it, it seems like the Spider-Man and the MJ connections are going to be pretty important <laughs> for the Alpha Gala. So I'll definitely talk about, um, you know, what goes on there. Uh, yeah, if it's good. I'm um, seeing here, Red Cardinal from Pox was made of Nightcrawler and Gene. There you go, right? So we're already in, we're already in t Pox territory, which is a good place to be. Nobody knows X-Men better than you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's nice to hear. Um, it's not true. There are definitely people who do know X-Men better than me. <laughs> uh, my, I, I'm just not solely X-Men based in my interests and my reading, right? I, I like a broader suite of, of things in comics, uh, but I appreciate hearing that. That is very nice of you to say. Uh, Warleon says, we'd be cool friends. Tell, well, tell Rob that from Comics Explained. He seems like a good, a good friend to have. The biggest, the biggest comics YouTuber in the industry. You tell him, I would love to be friends. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sven says, don't bother with Knights of X. Mr. M is barely in it. And the backstory, how he got his realm, seems to not make sense to me. Uh, the timeline seems wonky. Okay. We got, we got two votes. One is read, one is don't. Uh, and I'm, I'm already, I'm already not going to read it. So <laughs> the arguments in favor of reading it would have to be very strong, uh, apart from <laughs> the, like one little cameo, which I guess isn't that level. He's an Omega level, but yeah, I don't, I, yeah, there's a reason I'm not talking about that series. All right. Okay, I think we're going to end it uh, right there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, you can find all these comics ordered uh, in chronological order on comicbookherald.com. You can find links here in the show notes for all the stuff we do over on the site. we got great essays going up uh, every every day. I get it. One, I, my goal is one great essay every day on CBH. I'm also putting up all sorts of interviews um, and podcasts and stuff, so go check those out on the CBH channel and all that stuff as well. Um, definitely uh, check out the My Marvelous Year podcast. That's where you can find me. We're doing our reading club going through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. We just finished 1997. So we've covered every year of Marvel, 1961 through 1997. We don't read literally everything, but we read um, a curated list of what I've deemed the 10 most essential or most interesting storylines from that year. We're heading into 1998. Now, 1998 is an interesting point in Marvel Comics history because that's when the Marvel Knights era begins. That's when the Comic Book Herald Complete Marvel Reading Order really begins in earnest. We're then building our way towards things like Grant Morrison, New X-Men, if you're a big X-head. If you want to come into the My Marvelous Year Reading Club, now is like a... If you want to get into modern Marvel continuity in comics and the best of that era... This is the perfect opportunity. I highly recommend you check that out. Again, the podcast is My Marvelous Year. It's me, two other hosts, Zach and Charlotte. Um, it is It is probably, it is definitely the podcasting and conversation that I am proudest of. Uh, we do the best work. I do my best work on that for sure. So if you like these, you want to hear me talk about the Marvel Universe in full, check out My Marvelous Year. Again, we're going into 1998. It's kind of a, a very crucial point because like that's, that's when I start the CBH reading order. That's modern Marvel is Marvel Knights in 1998, okay? Um, basically through today. So, all right. Oh, okay, we got a super chat here. I got to address this. Uh, what character would you talk about in a Cerebro interview and why? Uh, in the past, I'd said, um, and I pitched this, uh, was Blink. Uh, Blink, uh, a.k.a. Clarice Ferguson, a.k.a. an excuse to talk a lot about the Age of Apocalypse and Exiles. <laughs> like, that's, like... I'm less of a Blink fan than I am an Age of Apocalypse and Exiles fan, but Blink would be the road into that. Um, I actually had a brief conversation with Connor about doing that, but uh, he's got, you know, he's got Karen Gillan, he's got Al Ewing, he's got famous people with credentials <laughs> coming onto the show. Uh, dude, dude doesn't need me to uh, peddle my wares talking Blink. I, it is actually like a difficult thing for me to to decide on, like, because I, again, like, I've talked about this before, like, I don't have, I don't have character obsessions, really, right? I have comics obsessions, I have continuity obsessions, um, maybe even an X-Men obsession, but I don't really have, like, character obsessions. You know, if I was just going to pick, like, who are my favorite characters, I don't know, it's a very classic list of, like, Magneto, Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, Nightcrawler, um, but, like, I wouldn't go on an episode and be like, I know everything about them. Um, 
except for maybe Apocalypse. I might actually know everything about Apocalypse. But all right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if the comics are good, I'll be here next week. We'll talk then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here live. Thanks for supporting. And as always, enjoy the comics. I know everything about them. Um, except for maybe Apocalypse. I might actually know everything about Apocalypse. But all right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if the comics are good, I'll be here next week. We'll talk then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here live. Thanks for supporting. And as always, enjoy the comics.